0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is Conditioning. Dot .com Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples the website is lifeinnaples.net We have a terrific show planned for you today including special guest William Yatesman he is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation We'll also visit with Kevin Schmidt, Director of Investigations at the American Americans for Prosperity Foundation, and we'll visit with Professor Larry Bell, Endowed Professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture, and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. <clears throat> it is March the 3rd. It's my wife's birthday, so happy birthday, Linda. And on this day in 1887, Anne Sullivan began teaching six-year-old Kellen Keller, who lost her sight and hearing after a severe illness at the age of 19 months. Under Su- uh, Sullivan's tutelage, including her pioneering touch teaching techniques, Keller f- flourished, eventually graduating from college and becoming an international lecturer and activist. Sullivan, uh, later uh, dubbed the Miracle Worker, remained Kellen's interpreter and uh, constant companion until the older woman's death in 1936. Sullivan was born in Massachusetts in 1866, had uh, first-hand experience with being handicapped. As a child, an infection impaired her vision. She then attended the Perkins Institution for the Blind where she learned the manual alphabet in order to communicate with a classmate who was deaf and blind. Eventually, Sullivan had several operations that improved her weakened eyesight. Uh, Helen Adams Keller was born on June the 27th, 1880, and to Arthur Keller, a former Confederate Army officer and newspaper publisher, and his wife Kate of Tuscumbia, Alabama, as a baby, a brief illness, possibly scar- scarlet fever or a form of bacterial meningitis, left Helen unable to see, hear, or speak. She was considered a bright but spoiled and strong-willed child. Her parents eventually sought the advice of Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone and an authority on the deaf. He suggested the Kellers contact the Perkins Institution, which in turn recommended Ann Sullivan as a teacher. Sullivan, who was 20, arrived at Ivy Green, the Kelly family estate, in 1887 and began working to socialize her wild, stubborn student and teacher, by spelling out words in Keller's hand. Initially, the fingerspelling meant nothing to Keller. However, a breakthrough occurred when one day Sullivan held one of Keller's hands underwater from a pump and spelled out water in, in Keller's uh, palm. Keller went on, to learn, went on to learn how to read, write, and speak. With Sullivan's assistance, Keller attended Radcliffe College and graduated with honors in 1904. Helen Keller became a public speaker and author. Her first book, The Story of My Life, was published in 1902. She also was a fundraiser for the American Foundation for the Blind and an advocate for racial and sexual equality. From 1920 to 24, Sullivan and Keller formed a vaudeville act to educate the public and to earn some money. Helen Keller died on June the 1st, 1968, at her home in Easton, Connecticut, at age 87, leaving a mark on the world by helping to alter perceptions about the disabled. And she did more than that, of course. She took her greatest weaknesses and turned them into strengths and even into a very profitable and productive career. Very inspiring story, the story of Helen Keller. Well, people who live in Naples already know this, but uh, every now and then it's just nice to get a nice reminder... That the, uh, that the Paradise Coast here, known for everything from great golf to great health care, is a fantastic place to live. According to Schoolaroo, a nonprofit educational research company, and scholarship website engine, Naples is the number one place to live in the United States. Again, <laughs> we've seen this so many times. The study compared 151 cities across 47 metrics distributed in nine uh, key relevant categories, Crime and safety, affordability, uh, economy of life, uh, of life, leisure and entertainment, healthcare, education, employment, and infrastructure. Naples scored top overall rankings in healthcare, number uh, number of hospitals, and leisure entertainment. Also in the top ten were education, number three, and for highest number of public uh, schools. Crime and safety, number four, and economy, number nine. On the downside, Naples scored the lowest rank possible, 151st for aff- affordability. Well, you could see that one coming, huh? The next highest ranked Florida city was Tampa, coming in at number 14. So, congratulations to all of us who uh, hopefully have some sense of gratitude for living here on the Paradise Coast. Well, excess deaths among young adults are soaring to record highs as unexpected mortality rates continue to spike each month. That, according to the latest data, uh, the da- uh, latest figures for December showed a large rise in excess mortality rates among adults under the age of 45. December saw a staggering increase in excess death that was 43% higher than expected. The figures more than doubled the number of excess deaths for November and almost four times higher than in October. Now, uh, correlation is not causation. Uh, But uh, clearly, I think we have to investigate why these deaths are happening nationwide and around the world. And my view is, of course, it's from the uh, vaccine. I can't prove it, uh, but I suspect it. And I think it should be investigated. uh, And uh, because we're doing great harm, people are still getting these vaccines. It's just unbelievable. Well, communities around the world emitted more carbon dioxide in 2022 than in any other year on records. Uh, dating to 1900, a result of air travel rebounding from the pandemic, and more cities turning to coal uh, as a low-cost source of power, emissions of the climate-warming gas that were caused by energy production grew. Well, I say yeah, warming, climate-warming gas. That's not necessarily proven in my mind, but irrespective. Uh, the uh, gas that caused by energy production grew 0.9% to reach 36.8 gigatons in 2022, the International Energy uh, Agency reported. Uh, Thursday's report was uh, described as disconcerting by climate scientists. Disconcerting? That's putting it lightly. We're the furthest thing from being the uh, climate change alarmists, but... When you spend $100 billion of taxpayers' money and achieve absolutely nothing, Biden and his Green Alley should, uh, allies should be arrested for criminal fraud, in my opinion. While well, the Senate passed a disapproval resolution Wednesday, formally killing Biden's administration's Department of Labor rule that encourages private retirement plan fiduciaries to consider environment, social, and governance, ESG factors, when making investment decisions over 150 million uh, for 150 million Americans the measure was only required a simple majority to pass passed on the threshold in in a 50 to 46 vote in the Senate the House Representatives passed it 216 to 204 with only one democrat voting for the bill uh, President Biden wanted to sacrifice seniors retirement savings to fund his political agenda said Mike Braun of Indiana who led the bill both the Senate and the House now have sent powerful bipartisan rebukes of the Biden's ESG agenda. I'm proud to stand up for Americans' retirement savings to stop this harmful rule. And it is harmful. Uh, leaders of business certainly take into account all these things, uh, uh, ESG. They certainly all, all consider that. but It's part of the whole process of doing business in America. But it should not be uh, one of the weights that weighs down performance of the stocks. For our retirees, uh, let stay out of the business of uh, uh, private enterprise and let business leaders lead the business. <clears throat> well, Senator, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein announced that she was hospitalized on Thursday and is receiving treatment for shingles leaving Senate Democrats without an outright majority this week as two other senators are also away from the Capitol. Feinstein confined her hospitalization on Thursday after her spokesperson announced that she was leaving D.C. for California to focus on a health matter. Shingles can be very serious, of course. I was diagnosed uh, over the February recess with a case of shingles. I've been hospitalized and been receiving treatment in San Francisco and expect to make a full recovery. I hope to return to the Senate later this month, the 89 year old California senator said. Feinstein has missed numerous votes in uh, committee hearings since she began feeling unwell, according to her spokesperson. Uh, Feinstein is not the only Democrat currently uh, absent from the upper chamber. Senator John Fetterman, of course who miraculously uh, co-signed a bill, but anyhow, has been hospitalized since mid-February with no expected date of return as receiving treatment for clinical depression. Further, Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon uh, flew to home state after his mother died earlier this week, so we wish him uh, well. However, Senate Republicans are also down one member. Senator Mike Crapo is out due to contracting the coronavirus Although Senate Democrats uh, started the new Congress with a 51 to 49 advantage, control of the Senate this week has functionally become 48-48, forcing Vice President Kamala Harris, Kamala, Kamala, whatever her name is, to step up and cast multiple tie-breaking votes. Well, President Joe Biden on Thursday announced that he will eventually visit the site of the major train derailment that saw toxic materials Leak from rail cars, and forced the evacuation of an Ohio town. I've spoken with every official in Ohio, Democrat and Republican, on a continuing basis, as in Pennsylvania, Biden said, per the Hill. We are implementing an awful lot of those legislations here, and I will be out there at some point. So he's uh, making the announcement, probably forced by uh, public opinion, that he's going to go visit uh, Palestine uh, East. Authorities evacuated the town of East Palestine, Ohio, in early February after a Norfolk Southern train derailed in the, in the area. To prevent an explosion, they subsequently conducted a controlled release of toxic materials. Ohio Senators J.D. Vance and Sherrod Brown have crafted bipartisan legislation to tighten rail safety standards in response to the incident. The incident directed a considerable scrutiny uh, from the Biden administration, in particular the Department of Transportation uh, Secretary Pete Buttigieg, for the seemingly sluggish response to the incident. Biden, for his part, has faced criticism for not appearing at the site. It concerned many uh, all the more prominent after uh, President Donald Trump visited and left off water and all kinds of things, bought everybody a hamburger. Pretty amazing. Despite Biden's uh, Thursday remarks, the administration has thus far not scheduled a presidential visit uh, to the area. And when it'll make the trip is pretty much unclear. And by the way, uh, the workers for the the railroad, uh, they're getting sick because they were told it was safe for them to go in and clean up the mess. Well, it's not, and they're getting sick. So that's going to be more of a hazard down the road. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yatman. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8am until 2pm, 7 days a week Lulabees Diner, in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads, stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's
0: 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, your health insurance may not cover you while you're uh, in another country. You may want to be able to travel with confidence and protection. uh, Visit the website InternationalHealthPlans.com. That's InternationalHealthPlans.com. Uh, dot com. uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Kevin Schmidt. He's the Director of Investigations at Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a Senior Legal Fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so
2: much for having me on, Bob.
1: Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation.
2: You bet. Uh, we're a legal outfit, and we defend Americans from
1: government overreach and abuse. It's a good market. <laughs> There's a lot, of, <laughs> a, lot. a lot of it going on. Well, thanks for the work that you do. Uh, the uh, website is pacificlegal.org, pacificlegal.org. So I understand uh, that uh, Biden is planning on releasing his uh, uh, 2024 budget.
2: Indeed he is. So that's coming next week. And while we don't yet have the details, on wednesday in virginia beach uh biden gave us a taste if you will and he said and i quote here i wrote this down um biden said i want to make it clear i'm gonna raise some taxes um so there you have it um it, it's sort of a i guess it's rare when a, a politician of any stripe um uh, i guess presents an opportunity for a, a, a television ad i mean that's the sort of quote that i could see bait about um, come 2024, but that aside, it landed with a thud um, <laughs> among the Democratic caucus on Capitol Hill. That that is Biden's remarks did, and in particular in the Senate, where Democrats are defending 23 seats in the upcoming cycle. Yeah, um, and they weren't really keen on the president's hyping up his his uh, <laughs> his intention to raise taxes. Um, but I, I guess I'll note we shouldn't be surprised. Um, he's a bit of a broken record on this issue. Uh, that is to say that both The previous year's budget and the one before that that were proposed by the Biden administration both included precipitous tax
1: increases. That's kind of interesting. I believe the current tax uh, code uh, that was passed under Trump goes through 2025, up to the end of 2025, if I'm not mistaken. So we have some protection there. I don't know how he plans on increasing taxes uh, without the support of Congress. And, of course, uh, I don't think the support is there.
2: I don't disagree with that sentiment in the least, um, though uh, I'll add here, perhaps somewhat sadly, uh, in this day and age of executive power run amok, when uh, President Biden can uh, impose a unilateral, half a trillion dollar student loan policy, Um, he can can spend $34 billion on bailing out the Teamsters um, Union. I mean, uh, whereas I 100% agree um, that... uh, Whereas I support uh, Congress's reluctance to take on the president's tax increases, um, I do think that uh, they could be more aggressive in perhaps uh, tempering these unilateral routes that Biden has been taking.
1: Uh, no question. It. Well, it's just very disappointing to see how money is being spent so frivolously. You know, if you don't take care of capital, it goes someplace to, to, to somebody who will. So <laughs> and that, it goes for countries as well as for companies. So it's uh, very sad to watch. Uh, but it looks like the Congress is getting a backbone for uh, because it looks like there's bipartisan support in both chambers uh, to nix the resolution that Biden's proposing.
2: Well, indeed. I guess this is, it dovetails nicely or creates a nice juxtaposition with what I was just saying about uh, Congress needing to reign in the Biden administration. So what we've got here is a rare legislative veto from Congress. And what that means is both the House and the Senate voted by of a simple majority under this uh, statute, under this law known as the Congressional Review Act, to effectively nix uh, major Biden regulation. Uh, This is a regulation that uh, was issued by the Department of Labor, and it pertains to, uh, it basically pushes this environment, social, uh, and governance, this ESG stuff, uh, onto retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you intimated at the outset, uh, this, well, I should note here, this will get vetoed by President Biden. So uh, that, you know, ultimately this will not take effect or this won't nix uh, president's rule. Yeah. However, it does promote accountability. It is putting Democrats in Congress on the spot, making them either support or not support um, what the president is doing. And it is a significant uh, uh I'll say this. Congress has all too infrequently used this measure in the past, this sort of this legislative veto to try to temper uh, this executive lawmaking. So to the extent this is evidence that Congress is warming up to this mechanism, and I believe it is, um, I understand that the EPA's major Clean Water Act rule is next. Um, Then I support it wholeheartedly.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see how this all works out. I guess they need uh, uh, two thirds uh, vote. Uh, in both chambers, if I'm not mistaken, to over, overthrow the veto, right? So the chances of that is, in, oh, go that ahead. is indeed correct. Um, but I'll
2: just note here again, it does serve the salutary purpose of putting it in headlines. So it's not just the accountability in Congress by, by getting a vote, getting people on the record on this. Uh, by signing the veto, um, you know, Biden has to stand next to this policy. Um, which, quite frankly, isn't any good.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, I, I'm all for people having some place to put their money if that's where they want to invest it. Uh, you know, having a special mutual fund or something of that effect, but to having it affect all retirement accounts. We're so fortunate here in Florida that the governor has already nixed uh, ESG policy with regard to any any investments for people in retirement plans, especially public employees. So uh, it's it's already a dead issue here in Florida.
2: Well, shoot, I can't, I guess I'm not an ESG expert, but I do understand DeSantis is doing great work down there. I'll note here, just from a constitutional perspective, this is the sort of major policy that ought to be rendered by Congress, the elected representatives, and not unelected bureaucrats.
1: Absolutely. So hopefully this will begin. And by the way, uh, the Supreme Court uh, seems to not have a sense of humor about the uh, uh, loan forgiveness program uh, for that uh Biden's put forth a half a trillion dollars, or up to a trillion dollars, of loan forgiveness. Uh, they seem to uh, uh, look at that at a scant, not not very much, very supportive. Well, uh, it is blatantly illegal.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so, it is. Um, I sympathize with their position. <laughs>
1: It absolutely is. Again, William Yateman, he is a senior legal fellow at the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. The website is pacificlegal.org, pacificlegal.org. William, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with Kevin Schmidt. He is Director of Investigations at Americans for Prosperity Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs)
0: back to the Bob Harton Show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and a building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, professor, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have Kevin Schmidt. He's director of investigations at Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure, Kevin. Uh, Tell us about the Americans for Prosperity Foundation.
3: So Americans for Prosperity Foundation is a nonprofit based in Arlington, Virginia, but we also have state chapters in, in 35 states around the country And our goal is to identify and educate the public and and lawmakers about uh, barriers to people living um, the lives they want to live. So in in many cases, these are government barriers that are uh, harming the free market and not allowing the free market to deliver what uh, creates the best sort of prosperity.
1: Yeah. As I understand, it's also uh, nonpartisan.
3: That's right. We don't we don't support any sort of political party uh, we're a C3 nonprofit, and we don't work on politics.
1: Yeah, so uh, it's is the foundation the same thing as Americans for Prosperity? In other words, are there two different organizations?
3: That's right. That The Americans for Prosperity is the C4, and they uh-huh. they work on sort of uh, some different issues, and they can and do some different things. But at the foundation, we're more uh, research and education.
1: Gotcha. Well, thanks for that clarification, Kevin. So uh, you wrote a piece that was in the Wall Street Journal, uh, COVID exposed the damage done by certificate of need rules. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: Sure. So, I mean, we started looking at certificate of need laws back in 2021. And uh, today we've wrote eight reports in eight different states. And uh, the findings are, are, are incredible. So the, the COVID could tie in here is that if, if, I'm sure you remember that there was, um, during COVID, there was a lot of hospital shortages. There was lack of beds.
2: Right.
3: And what, and what we found from these from these con laws is that they, destroyed, they didn't allow billions of dollars worth of investment in healthcare. Many of those would have been beds, they would have been healthcare equipment uh, and lots of other things. So it left us unprepared for COVID and these laws still exist in thirty-five states, leaving us unprepared for the next pandemic.
1: So tell us about what is certificate of need. What are the rules?
3: So if you want to have a hospital, if you want to add beds or add equipment at any medical facility in these thirty five states that have that, you need a certificate of need. And what that means is you need a government uh, application for one of these things, and you cannot open without it. And it works in, in a couple of different ways in creating a barrier to opening more facilities. Number one is you cannot apply unless there is a need determination from the state, either under its regulations or through its annual state health plan that they develop with incumbent providers. So something of that would say, we have a need for X number of beds in X county, please apply for it. If that's not there, you can't get one, with a few exceptions.
1: So uh, number two, go, go ahead. ahead. Yes, please. I, go ahead.
3: Okay. The other way is number two is that if you do get an uh, apply for a certificate, the government gives you one. That, you, you're not, that doesn't mean you get it because it allows competitors under these state statutes to take you to court and challenge you. And that can add years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to your application.
1: Yeah. So in a way, this just is uh, uh, most uh, hospitals want to protect their territories. They want to protect their business. Well, who wouldn't? Uh, but they now have a way to do it that most private enterprise can't do it. They simply, uh, you know, can uh, say, we, we don't think this is a good idea. That would create too many beds in our area. We we think this is going to be superfluous. for us. We shouldn't have another hospital air, in our area, and that could kill the deal.
3: Absolutely, and, and and it works all the time. And even the threat is sometimes enough just to, to shut it down. So, for example, in, in West Virginia, we found that after. Uh, healthcare care providers had already applied for up to $44 million worth of services. They, they submitted their fee. There's a con fee with an application. They submitted that. They wanted to do it. But then as soon as competitors came in and said they were going to oppose those applications, they withdrew them. They didn't even try. They didn't want to get to the litigation. They just decided to walk away from that money because yeah. it's so onerous to try to get through the litigation.
1: You know, that well uh, here in our area, in, in uh, Collier County, uh, some individuals wanted to open a hospital in Amacoli, which is a, a very poor area in our community, in our county, and uh, they were they applied for a certificate of need and ended up getting uh, you know challenged by the local hospital here. For what reason? I mean, these people are are hour away from a hospital in uh, downtown Naples.
3: Yeah, I mean, there, there's sad stories like that everywhere. So, for example, in, in, in Georgia. Bartow County is the largest county in the state that doesn't have a NICU. So right now, patients and n- newborns and parents there have to get loaded up and transported to a different hospital if they have issues after birth. But they applied for a con, and they're in a three-year battle here just to get get that open, get a eight, an eight-bed NICU in one of the largest counties in the state. And they can't do it.
1: So right now uh... – your proposal is, uh, let's just not get rid of a certificate of need rules during the uh, COVID pandemic. Let's let's do it for good.
3: Yeah, I mean, we saw many states when when the pandemic hit, they had to suspend these rules. There was no way they were going to uh, be able to handle the, the needs of the population during COVID. So through executive orders, many governors uh, relaxed the rules. And then after, now that the pandemic's over, those rules are mostly back in place. And I think what we've seen even before the pandemic, what we've seen for years is that this just creates monopolies for, for hospitals, and it doesn't serve the patients. It doesn't uh, do what it's supposed to do, Then that's the reason why. Originally, con was imposed, basically imposed by the federal government in the 1970s. They tied all federal health care dollars to it, so all states moved that way. Uh-huh. But then during the Reagan administration, the federal government dropped that requirement and said, you know, you can get your health care dollars even if you don't have con. But still, 35 states and D.C. still kept the laws from that
1: that is so interesting so uh, you know it seems to me whether you're a not for profit or for profit company if you decide that this is a service that you want to provide to the community you've got the resources in order to start it and uh, you think you've got the following who who wants to start a hospital that's not that's that's not going to have any business so to me the whole the whole process seems just foolish and redundant
3: oh absolutely and i mean it has real effect on patients because uh, a lot of things in healthcare so for example uh, uh, you need early detection for certain uh, diseases and maladies that are, are life-threatening. And and I'll give you an example. In West Virginia, West Virginia University Cancer Center, they wanted to open up a uh, a mobile lung cancer screening unit that would drive around the counties that didn't have any lung cancer screening and provide that service. They had grant funding to, to fund folks that uh, couldn't afford that sort of thing. And they got stuck in con litigation for three years. Huh. And all they, all they wanted to do was provide a service that was not offered In those counties in West Virginia and they still had to go through crushing litigation even just to open their doors.
1: Well you see this is the kind of thing I think what you're doing is so terrific because uh, we're so loaded down with unnecessary regulations. This is is a great example of one that's just absolutely preventing people from the things that they need to protect their health and safety And, and there's so many other examples as well.
3: Yeah I mean another one, kids' mental health during the pandemic you know it it was terrible, and there's there's tons of issues around the country of not having enough mental health care and there are states that where mental health care for kids is under con, and we looked at, at into it in Arkansas, and they've had a moratorium since two thousand and eight where you can't even apply for a con to add more mental health services for children it's just it's just banned. It's a moratorium, you're not going to get get it and under the state's own numbers that they release every year. They acknowledge that there's a, a bed need that they aren't filling to the tune of 250 beds across the state. But they don't allow anyone to fix it.
1: That's appalling. Well, uh, again, Kevin Schmidt, Director of Investigations at Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Uh, how do we support your efforts? What can we do to, to be uh, helpful?
3: Well, you can check out our website. It's uh, americansforprosperity.org. And then um, we have these eight state reports that we that were featured in the Wall Street Journal. That's org slash permission to care. We call these con laws permission to care laws. That's what uh, what <laughs> that describes them better than certificate of need, I think.
1: I think they absolutely do. Again, org is the website, americansforprosperity.org. Kevin, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> times they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional, somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues is unique. We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, a modern funeral home, a celebration of Life Center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website DignityMemorial.com. That's www.DignityMemorial.com.
0: back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics, they know the policy, and they help prepare elected officials to win in the legislature, both in the state and on a federal basis. And, uh, the website is thefga.org. Just a comment, uh, I, I proudly serve on the board, and uh, we had our... Uh, board of Directors meeting yesterday. Just incredible, the work that's being done. This organization has been around for 12 years and already has a $14 million budget uh, to do their work. They have great people, they have great processes, and they actually get things done that most organizations don't. So uh, I hope you'll check it out. Uh, VFGA.org is the website. Well, Missouri Democrat Representative Cory Bush Her campaign doled out $60,000 in private security payments last year to Courtney Meritz, who she quietly married earlier this month. However, a little bit of investigation into this, Merritts pocketed the security payments despite not having a St. Louis private security license, which is needed to perform security functions in the area. Uh, Meritz also received the campaign's cash as it simultaneously paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to a St. Louis security firm, and another individual for personal protection. Now, mind you, Cori Bush is one of these, let's defund the police. Uh, She she is an unscrupulous person and has no business serving in Congress, and now she's directing funds to her boyfriend, uh, fiancé, now husband, in order for uh, personal security and protection. Well, there's a lot of scallywags up there on Capitol Hill. Attorney General Merrick Garland on Wednesday promised free reign for prosecutors investigating Hunter Biden and his financial dealings. The U.S. attorney has been advised that he has full authority to make those referrals you're talking about or to bring cases in other districts if he wants to do that, Garland said during an oversight hearing when pressed by Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa on whether the probe would be free for uh, political influence. He's been advised that he should get anything he needs, I have not heard anything from the officer suggests they are not able to do anything that the U.S. attorney wants them to do. Asked what would happen if Delaware U.S. attorney David Weiss would need to pursue the case against Biden outside of his jurisdiction. Garland said if it's in another district, he would have to bring the case in another district. But as I said, I promise to ensure that he'll be able to carry out his investigation and that he'd be able to run it. And if he needs to bring it into another jurisdiction and have full authority to do that. Grassley responded, well, if Weiss, the U.S. attorney there in Delaware, must seek permission from a Biden-appointed U.S. attorney to bring charges, then the Hunter Biden criminal investigation isn't insulated from political interference, as you publicly proclaimed. (laughs) Good point, uh, Senator Grassley. Well, Weiss's office has been investigating Hunter Biden since 2018, specifically whether he paid adequate taxes on millions of dollars in income. Also, prosecutors have explored whether... Hunter Biden lied about the drug use on his gun application in 2018. Of course, this could all be cleared up in a few minutes. Of course he lied. Uh, he was using drugs, and uh, he, he said he didn't on the application. Irrespective. Uh, House Republicans are now also investigating Hunter Biden's financial dealings. House Judiciary Community, uh, Committee uh, Chair Jim Jordan has blasted Garland for his refusal to appoint a special counsel to the government's probe. To date, you've declined to appoint a special counsel in this matter. Despite appointing special counsels in other investigations, your refusal to appoint a special counsel here is conspicuous in that context, he said. Uh, I I think the device is beginning to close here on Hunter Biden. We can only hope so. How long has this been going on? We certainly want to see some justice, uh, see Hunter Biden brought to uh, justice under the law. Speaking of Hunter, Joshua Levy, a prominent, high powered criminal defense lawyer, ended his client uh, privilege, attorney client privilege, with Hunter Biden after unease and dissent reportedly plagued the legal defense team of the president's son. According to the New York Times, Levy had been hired to work on op- opposing congressional investigations that apparently seek to reveal the complexity and magnitude of Biden's business schemes involving President Joe Biden, brother Jim Biden, and son Hunter. However, Levy removed himself from the Hunter Biden's case, the Times reports, generally due to infighting with Hunter Biden's legal team and specifically with Abe Loyal. I guess maybe it's Abby Loyal, who has reportedly been hired in December to defend the Bidens from nine congressional probes, including wire fraud and money laundering. Previously... uh, Lowell had represented other high-profile figures embroiled in political scandals, including former President Bill Clinton and Jared Kushner, son-in-law of of the former. So this guy's a high-powered attorney. Also last month, Lowell had been uh, part of the legal defense team that sent litigation hold letters to Rudy Giuliani, Tony Bobulinski, and 12 others on behalf of Hunter Biden as a means of preserving records from his so-called laptop from hell. Consequently, Mike Davis, founder and president of the uh, pro-Trump Article III project, he's a a terrific guy, characterized the litigation hold strategy as desperate, frivolous, and laughable. Uh, It's a legal process in which Biden would be deposed on camera. This is going to lead to discovery, he said. The strategy, the Times reported, might have been a source of contention with Levy uh, relative to his relationship with the rest of the Biden defense team. Levy reported clashed with other lawyers and Hunter Biden's counsel. The Times reported uh, President Biden's personal lawyer, Bob Bauer, has uh, recommended Mr. Levy for the job, but Mr. Levy had clashed with Kevin Morris, a lawyer and close advisor to Hunter Biden, who has lent him money to pay back his taxes and some of the other bills, according to a personal familiar with the strategy. So it looks to me like uh, uh, right now uh, we're starting to see people fleeing the ship when it comes to protecting Hunter Biden, the, the vice is closing down on Hunter Biden and uh, one of his top people, uh, legal defense team, is uh, quitting right now because of disagreements with others on the team. And finally, in this segment, uh, after the train crash, the controlled burn in East Palestine, Ohio, local and federal officials rushed to say that everything was fine. All the people who lived there knew that it wasn't fine. People immediately complained that the air and the water seemed like it had been poisoned. Now the rail workers at the site are already getting sick. Is anyone surprised? Rail unions tell Biden official workers have fallen ill at Norfolk Southern derailment site. The president of U.S. railroad unions told Biden administration officials that the rail workers have fallen ill at the Norfolk Southern derailment site in East Palestine. Uh, leaders from 12 unions met with uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and Amit Bose, Administrator of the Federal uh, Railroad Administration in Washington, uh, to discuss the derailments, the aftermath, and the need for for safety improvements. So uh, right now, folks are getting sick. This has just been a total mess, and uh, somebody in a leadership position should have been there to direct the activities. You had people who weren't qualified making decisions. The consequence is uh, you're going to see a lot of people getting sick uh, needlessly uh, from uh, the uh, accident in uh, Palestine. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell. He's the endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) We'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratispell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
0: Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of about a dozen books. I've read just about all of them. Uh, His latest is Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life uh, by Design. Somewhat autobiographical and so interesting. He has had a very interesting life. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. Uh, For our listeners' benefit, you also write a column for Newsmax. It's uh, Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Your latest is Climate Cartel's Plan to Cancel Single-Family Homes Private Cars. That's somewhat of an alarming uh, a title to a column. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, this is something
4: that I've uh, been rattling around in my brain for quite a while. And uh, it was peaked again recently by Alicia Finley, a writer for Wall Street Journal. And she had an article a couple weeks ago titled The Climate Crusaders Are Coming for electric cars, too. And I guess if I were to draw along, you know, draw a lot of connections here, we, you know, I've been writing about climate and uh, nonsense and how it drives, you know, energy policies and, and uh, now we're hearing you know, climate equity and all this, you know, crazy woke stuff that's, that's just absolutely, you know, berserk. It's taken over everything. And you wonder know kind of where it's all oh, going. And I've had a long, uh, I've, you know, in, it's being driven by a lot of different agendas, you know, pushing windmills and sunbeams and, and you know and uh, you know, a whole lot of special interests that include a lot of United Nations, intergovernmental panel, climate change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But long story short, we sort of say, Well, where if, if there's uh a, 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 an ad- overriding agenda this, where is it all going? And and I've I believe for some time it's very much anti-population, anti-consumption. And ultimately, um, I anticipate if things continue, and I hope they won't, won't there be a political change that's occurring. I think we'll see a BTU tax, you know, a thermal, British Thermal Unit tax, and that's essentially a taxing carbon footprint. And <coughs> with energy equity, you know, you know, I think the target is, uh, among other things, single-family homes and cars and private ownership and so on because the more they, when they can put us in a kind of an ad farm, nirvana, you know that it's out of orwell where they, everything can be controlled and <clears throat> under the guys of convenience and ai and internet and we're going to just make everything so efficient but oh by the way we're going to you don't mind if we take your privacy away from you when you're <laughs> control of your refrigerator and 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 and, and so on and <clears throat> Don't try to plan to recharge your your Tesla at night when the wind isn't blowing and the, the sun isn't shining. You know, and and, and meanwhile we'll we'll, we'll buy our, our earth materials we need for those gajillion batteries uh, from China and in in Congo where they control the great majority of of the, of the supply because because we can't dig them here in this country because that would be environmentally unsafe, of course. And and and, we'll, and of course, China meanwhile. Builds equivalent of a uh, of a coal fired plant every ten days, but oh, they really mean well, you know, and they're gonna and they're gonna support us on climate change, you know. I mean, all this absolute insane stuff going on, right? And and so, in in Elisa uh, Finley's column, she says, "Well, you know, you, you guys that are you know virtue signaling uh, electric vehicles uh, don't get too comfortable because." Because those don't fit the paradigm either. They, once they put you know in a beehive you know environment, then it makes the public transit more more convenient. And, and then meanwhile they'll you know, they'll essentially prohibit on street parking and or make it so expensive that people can't afford it, and and people will be forced to public tra- you know to public transit because because uh, the more condensed it is, the, the better it is. And, you know, forget about the crime problems that are going to discourage ridership. You, won't have to. We'll just put it. We'll put all the conveniences in your, in your stack of uh, you know, shoebox apartments. And and and, and uh, I see this going in a very very bad place. And and I think there's real evidence of this where we see a push on the part of it started with Biden and started with Obama rather. Let's uh, let's have the federal government step in. And essentially say if you want HUD money, development money, then you've got to give up single family zoning,
1: yeah and and
4: make sure that you've got some some high rises in your little neighborhood so that we have you know, we have property equity and and so on and it's really, really a scary, scary direction we're going, and to me, the only incursion note on this is that I think people are starting to push back.
1: Well, Professor, I'm so grateful that you've highlighted these, uh, you know, this, I'm not going to call it a prediction, but the inevitable outcome of this thinking. This is top-down control of people. It's got nothing to do with climate change and the level of CO2 in in the uh, environment. It's got everything to do with control and power and money. And uh, so, you know, what you're saying is we're basically going to end up with uh, losing control of our uh, uh, zoning uh, w- uh the ability to be able to have single family homes uh the, be, be, it won't be uh, possible to travel on our own automobiles so we'll be looking for public transport and of course this all goes to achieve what they're looking to accomplish
4: well i think there's also a there's a counter measure a counter development that's happening that that uh, they they probably find very alarming is that that with the internet and ai and, and so on we have a work at home phenomenon now and 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 COVID really accelerated mm-hmm. that, where people open their offices there, where people don't have to live in cities anymore, and, and and they don't have to commute, and you know they can they can live near grandpa and go fishing on the weekend, and go to PTA meetings with their kids, and and have services, and the services are moving to the suburbs and outlying areas because they can't afford the land costs and, and the and the uh, you know the uh, staff and support costs, including including. Hospitals and so on, and the crime problems are driving people. Out. So we're we're seeing this this movement away from cities, and it has a political demographic effect as well, where where the in the suburbs and the rural areas tend to be more much more red than than blue, and 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 it's interesting to follow what's happening in Buckhead in in uh, Georgia, uh, where you know these communities, you know, it's an affluent community that pays a disproportionate of the taxes for Atlanta and says, well, wait a minute, we're not getting any services. We don't, we get your crime problems. We don't get any of your policing. We don't get services. We're going to incorporate and create our own village. And say, saying, oh, you can't do that. You know, they say, well, yes, we can. Um, we can do it because, because after all, we're still a free country and we can make these kind of decisions. And that's being, that's been fought you uh, know, uh, really hard by by the liberals that, yeah. The bucket community. And, and it'll, it'll be interesting to watch that. I think that's a test case.
1: I believe it is as well. I'm disappointed to hear that apparently they don't have enough signatures right now, so it may fail this time around. But the point is, and the point that you're making, is that people really do have the power to control their own situation if, in fact, they want to put the energy into the effort. There's a time when people start getting scared. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it takes crime.
4: Maybe it takes inflation maybe it takes you know, any number of these nonsense uh, uh trends including the total weaponization of the fbi and the voj against uh against conservatives and that's not that's not illusionary and i think we're, we're going to see you know the house of the house investigations now and in the judicial committee and oversight committees and so on there's there's going to be uh, a drip 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 drip, and i think. Uh, actually more than that, leading into twenty twenty four, and and hopefully people are waking up. You know, when it when it hits their breakfast table, and when they you know basically, I think you know there's there's a real risk now of brownouts and blackouts during the summer because because of these insane energy policies, particularly in California, where where they have to the big borrow steel electricity to start with because they won't develop their own. Uh, you know, there's going to be and It's too bad that sometimes there has to be a world of hurt before people wake up.
1: Yeah, Professor, just again very grateful for that you've pointed this out. I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to Newsmax.com and check out your column on point. Again, this is such a great uh, a great summary of the direction all this is going, and we need to be awake. We need to be concerned about how this is all coming down because uh, we've seen the changes that they've happened so quickly here in the last two years. Appalling changes, and when you think about the agenda of the Biden administration, you try to think, what has they done for the average American? In my opinion, absolutely nothing. Well, the
4: good news is that it's happened very quickly, and I think it's,
1: you know, it's much better
4: than uh, having it, having it sneak on, you know, under under the transom, and and, and people waking up too, you know, too late yeah. that uh, that their whole world has changed, and uh, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad they went crazy so quickly and, and demonstrated
1: it. That's an interesting point of view. Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. His latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Professor, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for the opportunity, Bob. Always a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. I hope you join us on Monday. We've got great guests, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of several murder mysteries. Jim will be joining us as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at BobHarden@Hotmail.com. at hotmail.com. BobHarden@hotmail.com. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.